You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Welcome back. For me, it's the World Football Program, 107.9 FM. It's been a while since I've been in the studio. I'm very excited to be back. I've had soccer things on Saturday mornings, like cups and carnivals and stuff like that. So I'm back in the studio and Hugh's joining me. Good morning, Hugh. Morning, Penny. Morning, everyone. Welcome back. I'd just like to apologise for the technical issues that uh, occurred at the beginning of uh, last week's show. That was uh, due to issues completely within my control and I will make sure they will not happen again. We had that discussion off air and uh, the backside is still red and sore. It's called a learning curve, Hugh. A learning curve. Yep, yep. Get, get all of it out of the way in the learning part and then eventually it just becomes, you're a part of the team and we forget just all becomes, those things. Just like falling off a bike, it hurts every time. You won't fall off the bike much longer, it's all right, Hugh. Thanks for joining us on the program. There's lots of football in the Olympic space happening, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. I think all the um, reservations and and cautions of will the Olympics go ahead have kind of been allayed with some great competition, some good TV coverage, some maybe not so good TV coverage at times, Um, and a lot of apps blinking in and out. God, that's annoying. I was watching the Matildas last night. Yes, Peter, I was absolutely watching the Matildas last night, and my app keep blinking off. Now, what is that about? So I was airplaying it to my TV because my 14-year-old can actually do an airplay thing. I don't know what the hell that means. But the seven plus app kept blinking out, oh. and every time I come back, there was another goal scored. I'm like, "Damn it!" Yeah, but no, I was watching we, it. We did um, it in the end on the free to air, so the uh, the seven mate um, uh, terrestrial channel, and uh, I was very impressed when uh, at the seventieth minute mark they've gone. Oh, and by the way, click. We're now what? <laughs> we're turned onto a movie. It's like um, pretty important game, Damn um, and and of course. They were discussing highlights of other things and we missed the first five minutes of the second half. So I'm not having a go. I'm just stating facts. But how good was last night? I'd, for those that, that, that didn't see, um, 
while we were watching the Matildas game, the Canada-Brazil game was just mental. Unbelievable. It finished 0-0 after extra time. Goes to penalties. A lot of extra time last night. A lot of extra time. Oh, I, I, well, the fun thing, I spoke to my uh, my daughter. She was watching the Matildas game with me and she goes, oh, it's going to go to extra time. I said, yeah, I know. It's basically a waste of time. It's going to be 30 minutes of defensive play. Nothing will happen. And then they'll go to penalties. And, of course, the Matildas game was not that. But the um, Brazil game still finished 0-0. Uh, Canada missed the first penalty. Marta steps up to the world Oh, again, one of the best players cool the world's ever composed. seen. Just bashes it in. I thought, well, that'll be it. Canada hit the next three. Brazil step up. And I think, well, yep, this will be all over. They miss. Canada step up for the fifth penalty. They put it in. Brazil step up for the fifth penalty. And they miss as well. It went 4-3 in penalties. It was unbelievable. Goalkeeper on both sides had some good saves. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Again, mm. it, it, the quality of players, particularly in the women's uh, Olympic competition, has just been outstanding. Mm. There were certainly some tired legs last night. Oh, yeah. In the results last night Res- was Australia versus yeah. Great Britain 4-3. Woohoo! Yep, good for that. I'm yeah, very no, happy I was dis- that. disappointing to see um, uh, some of the, the, the players from Great Britain not uh, not continuing. I mean, Ellen White, holy crap! You score a hat trick in a quarter final and, and go bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and Lucy Bronze. I mean, certainly living up to her reputation as one of the best defenders in the world. Yep, and in the other games, uh, USA defeated Netherlands, yep. and, Sweden... and that went to penalties as well. That was four two. Yeah. So I. I, I, I was texting you with yep. um, with the Netherlands going up and going, here we go. And that, uh, we'll talk to Simon Hicks later on, that actually had uh, Kate Dukowitz from uh, Victoria oh, referring right. that one. So I that was that um, a replay yet. of uh, the 2019 World Cup final. So how, how, how much pressure do you think she was under? And Sweden and Japan. So looking forward now to the semifinals is yep. Monday evening. So you know, dedicate some time Monday evening. You've got... Uh, Australia, Australia versus Sweden. Sweden. Uh, that's, yep. I, I wish we hadn't drawn that. Because well, I think that, that, that's the fun of um, Mr. Gustafsson's with his uh, tournament play for the US game where he, that both sides were happy for a 1-1. Um, again, f- with the tournament format that they have, only having three groups of four, you know, you're only losing two teams after the group stage. So hopefully in future when the Olympics continues and we'll get the, the four groups of four, particularly in the women's competition. So as you see in the men's, if you have a poor game you're in trouble because only the top two will go through. Whereas yeah. in this particular situation, there was only two teams that didn't progress. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, USA playing Canada and um, they're the two semifinals. Yep, and that'll be on Monday at, uh, at at five o'clock our time, I, yeah, so I which, believe. Which is a reasonable time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the yeah. bad news for us is that when it comes to the finals, particularly if Australia get through, um, they've organised it for, oh, I won't say prime time because it won't be it'll be at 11 o'clock our time uh, on friday so next friday 11 o'clock is the gold medal <coughs> match and mm. the bronze medal match will be thursday at uh, five o'clock so again why they've done that in my humble opinion is because the olympic committee or or the organizers believe that the u.s would make the final and that's prime time viewing in yeah. in the u.s and chances are they could still be there and moving over into the guy side of things. Ooh, I've got um, to turn the page. Listen yep. to this guy. There we go. I've got it written down. Yeah, so <laughs> unfortunately the Australian men's team didn't make it, but they played a smashing team. I mean, yep. Egypt, yep. they they played such great yep. football, uh, lovely control, defence. Yeah. The goalkeeper 
was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. He's played for Egypt for over a decade now, yes. overage player, and very composed. Just positioning was great. He just lent such and, great strength yep. to and their And for those defense. that were listening way back when and, and called me a, a, a doubting Thomas, I did say that that was a group that Australia would be very, 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 very lucky to get through. Um, beating Argentina first up gave us some, some great hope. Um, but Australia played well. Yeah, yeah, but then... You know, when they come up against Egypt, as I said, you, you're not seven times champions of your confederation, which is Africa, for no good reason. Mm. That they, they are a quality side. <laughs> Surprised to see that uh, Ahmed Hagazi, ex-West Bromwich Albion player, in the defence there. I thought, oh, I've got a bit of interest in this, but yeah, I wasn't happy with the result. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> okay, we're going to uh, catch Graham Normanton on the phone very soon. Um, a couple other things that are happening that we'll talk about through the show. The announcement of the um, the DMC, which is the domestic uh, football calendar. Um, so that's kind of aligning the A-League, W-League, domestic calendars, international breaks over the next 12 mm. months. Um, so grand final of the A-League is 28th of May. We're starting October 30. Then the W-League starts November 13. Uh, and... Uh, the transfer windows. I'm not quite sure how that kind of works and makes any difference to anything, but um, yeah, not, not now to uh, league because yeah. we don't really have a transfer system at the moment. Yeah, but the I like the international breaks being lined yeah. up. That's a great idea, giving some. I mean, it's a bit of uh, challenging time um, with the World Cup qualifiers yes. and the Olympic qualifiers and then the A-League teams had to forfeit their players. That was mm-hmm. just, whew, that, that was tough. And, and, and a lot of those um, international breaks are, are aligned for the European calendar, which uh, we've seen on more than a few occasions that it doesn't align with the AFC yep. and particularly the, um, the, the African conference as well. So yep. when they have the African uh, Cup of Nations, it's usually... January, early February, and a lot of the, the clubs are reluctant to release players for that competition. Same deal when it comes to um, the Asian Cup and our qualifiers. Yep. Uh, and we, we'll talk more on, on these things through the show, but um, we had uh, nearly 1.5 million Australians watching the Australia versus uh, Sweden game, mm-hmm. um, uh, which was, we had 916,000, I think, um, watch the Australia versus New Zealand game. That's the women's. Yep. Uh, which eclipsed the women's uh, ICC T20, so cricket, a final back in March 2020. So, yeah, go yep. soccer, uh, football, sorry. Um, <laughs> the Ollie Roos uh, had 784,000-ish um, tune in when they defeated Spain in their Olympic game. That was the 1-0 game. And 800,000 people tuned in with the Australia versus Argentina Yep, Olympic I'd be interested game. to see what the figures were for last night's game because yep. I would imagine if you said 1.2, I would think it'd be even more than that. Hope so. Hope so. It's it's good stuff. It just means that you know pe- people are watching the Olympics. They're following the Matildas. They're you know taking an interest, which is fantastic. Mm. And now, of course, there's lots of football happening across the weekend. Yes. Um, you can go to footballwest.com.au or the NPL website if you want to catch the higher end games. But there's uh, NPL games today, stately games, amateur games, junior games, there's absolutely everything and we'll go through those a bit more when we talk with our guests. Um, thank you everybody for listening in and thank you to all of our partners. We really do appreciate everybody that supports us. Futsal WA and Greg Farrell, thank you. Oswest Fencing and Rod Iron Garden Fence Hardware WA. We are going to go to a break and we'll come back and chat more football. This is Penn and Hugh on the World Football Programme. Back soon. 107.9 FM, your local station. 107.9 FM. 
West Coast Futsal Association was established to develop and promote the game of futsal. With a vibrant new look and re-imaging, we are now Futsal WA. With a dedication to capture the fast growth of the sport to all levels, Futsal WA is Futsal in Western Australia. Futsal WA provides boundless opportunities to play with grassroots and junior leagues, pathways to academies, and elite club competitions and representative futsal that can help you follow a dream of professional futsal in Europe or Asia. With four venues across Perth, as an individual or as a group of mates who want to play, there's a junior, men's, women's or mixed competition that will suit you. Contact us to get involved in futsal, an action-packed sport and the fastest growing sport in Australia. Contact us at Futsal WA on 0432 745 140 via email at info at futsalwa.org.au or via our website www.futsalwa.org.au. Welcome back to the World Football Program. Penny and Hugh joining you this morning for the next two hours. And as Sean has been very kind and so is Hugh of handling the last three or four weeks of shows. I'm going to be doing a marathon stint over the next three weeks, which is going to be good because I'm actually going to um, schedule a, a, a few guests well ahead of time and it'll cover the Olympics finals, which is nice. So we'll have a bit to talk about. It's always everything to talk about in football. Anyway, it never stops. Does it, Graham? Good morning to you. Good morning. True, uh, it never stops. No, never, ever. And it hammers the grounds and it hammers the facilities and it hammers our hip pockets and uh, it keeps our passion going and our love for the sport, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Can't add anything to that. You've nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes I get so damn tired when it comes to the end of my soccer season, which is, well, for me, about October. <laughs> finish my coaching, finish my playing, and I'm like, phew, got my summer ahead of me now. I can do something else. And then my daughter goes, Mum, how about five-a-side? <laughs> like, phew, okay, sure, why not? <laughs> So you're telling me that you get tired of soccer. I don't believe it. No, no I don't believe it either, Graham. No, I, I think about a week's break is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's funny you get a week's break and then, you, and then you're looking for it again. So you see, it's, you, you just can't have a break. Well, it's impossible. Well, I, I think that we've evolved here in... Australia or in Western Australia to so having so many programs and uh, variations to our code available, indoor football, outdoor football, walking football, summer football, five-a-side football and so forth. And, and it's been great that Football West have varied the times of games to midweek fixtures, uh, under lights, Saturday, Sundays. It's just making it available to absolutely everyone, Graham. Yep, and it's... Um it's uh, the reason it's the most popular game in the world, and um, you know, as you just said there, it, it takes on many forms. Um, you know, and even if you look at the sport of rugby now, you, you know the sevens are in the Olympic Games, and how exciting is that game? Yeah. So you know, you take on different forms of the game, and it just, uh, but still, the traditional game is still the most popular. Yeah, it's, uh, we were talking earlier about the figures for the Olympics uh, being smashed. There was uh, nearly 1.5 million Australians tuning into the Australia versus Sweden, uh, the women's game in the Olympics, which is pretty incredible, which eclipsed the uh, women's ICC cricket T20 in March last year. Um, and cricket has a great following. 
So it's great to hear that football's numbers are fantastic and we've said for a long time that we have the numbers here in football but we don't have the profile. Mm. How do you think we're going on, on that front, Graham? Well, to be honest, the, uh, we don't have the profile. No. I think um, we we continually rate about six or seven or eight in the news. We continually get nothing in the newspapers. Um, we get very little on radio, in, uh, on all the sports shows around, around the place. There's very little on on football around them. Um we continue continually beaten up but we, we never really <laughs> fight it. We never we never really have anybody who wants to fight it and it's uh, it's it's frustrating in the mainstream media that that we get kicked to the back of the queue every time. It uh, everything takes um precedence over over football. I mean, you know, we could have a, a we could have a Tiddlywinks game going on and I think we'd be behind that. Um, and I'm not really sure why that is in this country. I'm not really sure why, because when you think about the the, the ethnic people that brought the game here and the, how the population is made up, you would think that would we would be pretty high up in the rankings. But for whatever reason, the mainstream media don't want to be part of us. And well, as long as that continues, it's going to be difficult to really get a foothold in, in Australia. I don't know. I think we've got the foothold... And the profile is definitely something we need to work on. But the underpinning, everything is there. We play the sport. There's juniors in the sport. There's grounds available for the sport. These, are, these all these things aren't in the ideal situation. True, but you, you can't. Yeah, but the, those things, although they're good, they're they're never going to be any good until you get the top end of the sport right. Mm. Because you, you know you you you've got to get the the upper end of the game where you've got. 30,000 people going to every LA game, for instance, instead of two or three thousand. You know, it's um, because people are look at that from other sports and from outside and looking, you know, you know look at that two thousand people. And then you go to the AFL or the rugby league, and there's thirty thousand people. Mm. Um, you it's, know, we've we've that, got that, to somehow translate the the, the we got to translate the numbers of participation into numbers that support the game. And um, I don't think we've got anywhere near the level of support of the game that we need. Um, I think that uh, COVID's going to change a few things going forward in terms of the financial viability of some sectors of our game, which is uh, business orientated, so to speak, like professional aspects, um, not just here, but across the world. It's going to be interesting seeing what some of the clubs across the world, some of the strategies they come up with to pay their wages, to um, sell merchandise or to get people into grounds. Um, you said that the AFL can still get their 30, 40 or 50,000 people into the um, stadiums and they refix your games and they change and swap timetables and we do the same thing and we can't get the numbers into our games. So there'll be some interesting strategies come up from some associations and clubs around the world, I think, in how to manage that scenario because it, it is a scenario that will present itself. Absolutely, it will. But you talk about getting numbers into stadiums. I think you know we've got to um, we've got to breed a, a club culture that is um, where people want to support the club. I mean, it's it's a difficult one because we've got plenty of people playing the game. But when you think about how many kids play football, let, let's say my own club, Forestfield, mm -hmm. how many juniors are there are at Forestfield? Somewhere in around about five to six hundred. 
and yet I would say that we'd probably be lucky if we got 15 or 20 of them to watch Forestville play. So the, the numbers of participation don't then translate into supporters. So it's how do we how do we how do we get those numbers of participants to become football supporters as well? Because not all of them will become top level footballers. So if they don't become top level footballers and they end up playing amateur football, for instance, how do we get those amateur footballers to, to then support the professional football league? And that's the that's the difficulty of it all. Um, and it's it's all it's saying we have many many numbers thousands playing the game and at any weekend how many probably hundreds of hundreds of thousands of people are involved in in football any weekend when you think about players parents coaches supporters you know all of those sorts of things you think about it, how many people are involved in that why can't we get more than six or seven thousand people to go and watch Perth Glory play. Is that well, a whole? Is that a whole of Australia culture to do with the sport, Graham? Or do you think? I mean, you're yeah. the, you're the head coach of uh, Forestfield. Is part of your mandate to look at things like that and go, well, okay, we have a large uh, un- underbelly of all those juniors. How do we retain them? How do we get them playing in the first team? Oh, it's not part of my mandate as a coach. No, I think I think it's, it should be part of the game's mandate. Yep. Is to how do we do it? It can't be down to a coach or a president or, you know, it's got to be down to everybody to do it, but it needs it needs some willingness and some effort to do it. Um, and how do we get those people to come and watch the senior team play? I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, can, can I make a suggestion? They, I think that yeah, one, of the, on. one of the things that I've really looked at uh, or just kind of have a perspective on is over the last few years, as there's been grounds get to capacity and start to um, get receive grants and um, the, with the Women's World Cup coming up, there's been a lot of grants and um, reviews of facilities. And I know that the uh, storms and winter season really hammers some grounds, grass, so they make them unplayable. And there's more and more clubs having multiple facilities to play over. So Mum FC, for example, um, Perth Soccer Club, they have like two or three, Bayswater have two or three grounds. If you have your juniors playing at one ground, your seniors playing another ground, then you've got to connect the dots. So for me, the perfect scenario is you have a boutique stadium or a facility that's the the place where all the main games are played and then there's enough space around that that you have the underpinning teams play and you can have um, a, a restaurant or a club rooms or whatever it is and people can park and whatever. So it's like a boutique kind of stadium, like the State Football Centre is going to be, you know, built. Yeah. A- and that and that's a connection. So people know that is, that's the place to go. Is going to build is the phrase. So how, many, yeah. how, many, how many billions of dollars yeah. do you need for that? I, mean, yeah. I know. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it creates a culture of inclusion. But the, the thing is that I don't think that that is... I don't think that that's stopping people coming to watch no. the senior players. I mean, the fact that Perth Juniors play at Forest Park yep. shouldn't stop the kids and their parents coming to watch play, Perth play at Dorian Gardens, for instance. No, that's right. I remember when you were yeah. coaching there, uh, Graham, that you used to... Uh, I don't know if it was your initiative, but you'd have uh, the juniors form a, a guard of honour for the players to, to walk through. Um, was that... Yeah, we we we've tried we've tried all of that. Yeah, we've yeah. tried all of that connection yeah. stuff with the juniors, and it and it it doesn't really work. The oh, juniors okay. don't really come. They they come. We 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 basically said right every weekend, every home game, we wanted one junior team 
to be at Dorian Garden, mm-hmm. and yeah, that worked. But as soon as the as soon as the kids run off the pitch, the parents take them home. Oh, I thought. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah, so, sorry, you know, I we, thought you yeah. had them working as ball boys as well. But well, we have we used to have one team that would provide four or five ball yeah. boys, but it wasn't the whole team. Oh, okay. um, but you know, we've tried all of those, those sorts of things here, and it hasn't really worked. And people keep saying to, you know, it needs the head coach to go down and coach all the kids. No, I can't coach no. six hundred kids. You know, it's just imp- it's just a it, you know, I, uh, and I have another life. I haven't just I've got a, a football life. That's right. <laughs> I, have to, I have to run a business. I've got a family. You know, it's uh, you know, you, you can't expect the coach to be at the football ground every night of the week yep. for four and five hours a night, and and to be walking around doing PR work yep. and patting people on the back and shaking their hands. Can, can I have a chat? Can I have a chat to you about your other life, uh, Graham? How, how was it uh, yeah. being a, an apprentice at uh, Middlesbrough in the the late seventies? You know. Can, oh can, my can, God! You're going you, back away there. Can you drop some dirt on Craig Johnson for us? <laughs> oh, well, Craig Johnson, and I, Craig Johnson and I were good friends. Yeah, I thought you might wedding. be, but around about the same yeah, age, yeah. So, um, yeah, so uh, you know, he's uh, as far as I'm aware now, he's living in Sydney, and um, he's had a bit of an up and down life as Craig. He's, <laughs> uh, you know, he was a superstar for a while, and then he dropped off the radar and. He, uh, as, a, as a business, he struggled for a while and nearly went broke, mm-hmm. and then he got back on the bike and he had a television career. And, oh, I was hoping for um, some dirt as a player. We, we, we know he's a public person. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, we, we don't speak out of turn about things nope. that happen in just Fair enough. Um, so when, when, we, when, you, uh, when you got to Hartlepool, I, I noticed that uh, the press uh, had described you as a and I quote, a no-nonsense defender with a committed style. Uh, transferred into the coaching pretty Absolutely. easily, didn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah you've, um, yeah, yeah, my attitude is in, in a competitive environment, it's either me or him, and it isn't, it's definitely not going to be him. That's right. And um, So, you know, at, at some point, I mean, I, when you're competing, and whether you're a runner or whether you're a football player or whether you're a cricket player, you're, you're competing, and... Um, you know, for 90 minutes, you can be my worst enemy. But straight <laughs> after the 90 minutes is finished, we'll go and have a beer. We did, um, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so that's just the, just the way I approach uh, competitive nature. I was I played all sorts of different sports and was reasonably good at quite a lot of them. And, um, and only because of my competitive nature, I would have thought. And, um, and sometimes it... You know, it comes out the wrong way, but um, it's not meant the wrong way. It's just that's the way it comes out. But uh, I think, um, you know, I've been called a, a no-nonsense defender all my life, but I also <laughs> thought that I, I, was a, I was a decent footballer as well. Yep. Um, there's a reason I finished second in the Rothmans gold medal three times, Hugh. So that's right, that's I, right. I must have, there must have been more to me than just kicking people. Exactly right, yep. So did you learn much so, from, from Terry Cooper? Terry Cooper was a uh, one of the world's gentlemen. Yep. He was an absolute gentleman, Je- one of the world's best players, as far as I was he was. Yeah, well, he used to train with train on the morning with us, and then in the afternoon, when all the young pros and the apprentices used to go out and train in the afternoon, he would be the only pro that would come out with us and train with us and show us how show us how to do all the skills. And even though Terry Cooper played left back, he was um, he was one of the best exponents of dribbling past mm. people in the world really he used to go past people for fun 
and he'd go past them and then come back and do it again just to prove it wasn't a fluke yeah so those that and, don't um, know Terry he was uh, a member of the 1970 uh, England World Cup squad so he, he was a oh, world class yeah, player part of part of one of Britain's greatest yep. ever teams yep. in Leeds United that's um, right yep so when Don Revy was manager and all of that, but uh, he was he was an absolute gentleman to boot. He wasn't uh, he he there wasn't a bad bone in him, and he was one of the one of the greatest pros you'd ever wish to play alongside. And he played in the reserves a couple of times with me, and um, he was brilliant you know, to play alongside. He was always willing to give you advice, never changed his attitude whether he was playing the reserves or the first team. It didn't make any difference to Terry Cooper's performance. He went out and played. And he was just a true, true gentleman and a true pro. And um, there was another guy that played alongside him called Willie Madron. Yep. And um, Willie Madron was unlucky with cartilage trouble mm. early in his career. Um, and in those days, if you had a cartilage out, you had a scar as long as you liked. That's right. Oof. And uh, all he ever did was really train once a week and play on a Saturday. And then he'd rest up, train on a Friday, play on a Saturday, rest up, train on a Friday. But another bloke who became my coach at Hartlepool, actually, okay. who was just, uh, he played for England. Another guy who was just a true professional and a quality footballer. He played for England, I think, very few times, but I think he, he was, um, because of his injury, he couldn't keep it going. But yeah, there were some great players at Millsbury in those days. I mean, the most famous person in the club was Jackie Charlton, the manager. Yep. Yep. And um, he, was, he was an absolute. You know, you talk about competitive. <laughs> you know, I could, I could tell you now. He he tore strips off Graham Sounis in the in the dressing room at half time in one game, and um, the paint nearly came off the wall. <laughs> so it was, um, you know, you talk about a competitive bloke. There was one right there who took teams to World Cups, who won a World Cup. You know, and you so you talk about competition, and if I may touch on that about where we're at now. We are actually taking the competition out of our kids. Yes, and I I don't agree with it. I, I'm, 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 we we've got the kids have got to know that a result does matter at yep. some point. I mean, it, it, I'm not saying that we should have the ugly parent syndrome no. or the ugly coach syndrome. I'm not saying that at all. But we can't take the competitive nature out of the game. And I think part of the reason that Australia's ranking in the world has dropped is because. Over the last 15 years, we've taken competition out of the game. And we're saying that the score doesn't matter to all these kids and that we shouldn't worry about the score. And, well, yeah, and we everyone's worry a winner. About the score, why do we go on the pitch? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying we should be ugly about it. Nope. But we, we've got, you know, Australia were feared, were absolutely feared around the world because of their attitude towards competition. That's right. You yeah. know, now that fear's gone. Yep. The, the fear of Australia is gone. You know, it's simply disappeared. We, we, uh, even as a football nation, we were feared to be playing against because of our competitive nature. Our rugby union, our rugby league, we were feared because of it. It that fear now is gone. You know, the, the rest of the world have gone. Oh well, we don't. Australia have gone <laughs> backwards in that department. So you know. So I, I think the the people who are telling us these PC brigade are telling us that we. We need to stop the kids from competing or from scoring. I, I actually don't know where to get their information from because everybody I speak to says the opposite. I'm thinking, well, if you ask a seven-year-old kid 
after a game of football what the score was. He will know. He will know. He will know what the score is. And how many he scored as well. Are we as adults being stupid? Are we thick? Are we stupid adults or what? I mean, are we we saying to these kids that the the, the kids don't keep score? Of Mm. course they keep score. Mm. You're going to tell me a 10-year-old doesn't keep score? You know... You know, and and you're going to tell me that you can't say that scoring counts. Yeah. Oh, I've just scored a goal. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. So, <laughs> you know, so, let's, so let's not worry about scoring. So it's a, it's an interesting point, and I, and I suppose that kind of do you think that reflects your coaching style? That come on, lads, get stuck in. This is you know you're playing at state league division one. This is how we've got to play. At by the way, how many nights a week does your squad train? We train twice a week. Yeah. I'd like it to be more, reason. but it'd be, yeah. be, it's difficult with everybody who's mm. got another life, as we've just spoken about. Yeah, yeah. I'd like it to be more. But yeah, I I, I am competitive, but I I don't. I never, ever say to my guys, we must win. No. I mean, to me, that's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I would have thought so. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean isn't, isn't the fact that you're going on the pitch, is a, is, it doesn't that say that you must win? I don't get it. So I, what I try to do is give all the team the tools that we need to give them the best chance of winning the game of football. And the tools you've but given But I never mate. ever say to them, we have to win this game. We yeah. must win. I never, my players will say, I, I never say we must win. The result is important. Absolutely it's important. And I rarely look at a league table because if you're winning, you know you're going to be going up the table. If you're losing, you know you're going to be near the bottom. Yeah. So I rarely look at a league table. Um, you won't mention it then. Sure. Well, well, you can mention it. Doesn't worry. I know where we are. <laughs> yeah. it doesn't worry me. I mean, we've we've improved out of sight in yes. the last six weeks, so we've we're getting better. Um, you know, we've won two and drawn one at the last three. And yep. what are you putting so, that down to, Graham? Well, we've changed a few things. We've changed the way we've played. We've yeah, we've uh, we've. I've given the team a different um, directive in terms of how we play, and we've we've worked at it on, on the training ground, and and it's working for us, and it's um, it's given us the best avenue to go. It's given us the best opportunities to win games of football. So, um, you know, we've we've simply just changed the mindset, we've changed the way we play, and um, you know, we've changed a few personnel as well, which has made a difference, and um, and it's uh, it's working for us. And at the moment, it's going pretty well. So hopefully, we can kick on with it today and and, and get a result today, and hopefully next week and the week after as well. So you know, because I I firmly believe that the league table is lying to us at the moment, yep. because I don't think we're as bad as the league table suggests. But the league table at the end of twenty two rounds is not going to lie. Yep. So so we can't we can't keep saying we should have. Yeah, yeah. We simply have to. Just before we let you go, so, Graham, how's Jen going? Is uh, she still winning league t- titles and uh, putting you to shame? Oh, or what? Jennifer's, <laughs> Jennifer's just had a little baby. So, oh, okay, um, good for her. So, Congratulations. Uh, football, yeah, football is difficult. So she's juggling being first-time mom with playing football, and uh, she's down. She's just started playing. I think she's played three or four games for Subiaco Ladies Reserves. Yep, and um, starting to come back a bit, but. You know, um, she's 36 now, so she's not a. She's not a, a, a well, she's not going to like you. So, <laughs> um, yeah. the, uh, the truth, the truth sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. But the, um, and, uh, well, look, all Father Time stands still for no man, so yeah. and no woman either. So it's, uh, you know, I, 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 women tend to have more longevity in the game than men at the moment, but. Uh, I think as the competitive nature of women's football increases, I think that will change. Um, 
<clears throat> so you know, I think it's uh, I think it's great that she's staying involved. I think it's great that she wants to stay involved and wants to play. Um, and um, you know, she's she's a good player and she can she can play. But yep. she, like I say, all for the time, I'll uh, I'll, I'll dictate Ooh. how long she's got. And because she's had a baby, and as all those ladies out there know, having a baby and trying to play football and and train and all of that is a is a juggling act. Yep. Well, Graham, give her our love from Penny and myself, and thank you very much for your time today. We really, really do appreciate it, and all the best for Forest Field for the rest of the season. Yeah, well, you'll have to give me a call, and we'll talk about Teddy Cooper a lot more. Oh, you uh, bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was hoping for some more of that dirt on Craig Johnson. <laughs> next time, next time. Thanks, well, Graham. I'll, I'll, have a th- I'll have a think about it. I'll have a think. <laughs> Good on you. Thanks, Graham. See you later. All the best, Craig. Bye. Take care. See you. Bye. That was Graham Normanton, the head coach for Forestfield United. Uh, always great to catch up and yep. have a chat. Uh, in any direction, the conversation will go. Oh, and, and we knew it was going to go somewhere. <laughs> and, and Pete, I have not forgotten you. I was just talking about the host. So the the best wingman in the world. Sorry, Hugh, I have to say it's Peter Skeeler. Oh, I know he's that. He's just prompting me here. <laughs> all right. And he did make a, a comment about the new um, domestic calendar. That's the FFA Cup final is the end of the 12-month season that they've dedicated, uh, not the A-League Grand Final, and I wonder if that's anything to do with thoughts about not having a finals for the A-League well, season. Well, let's hope so, because I've been a, a very loud um, critic of not having first past the post being the champion. Now, hmm. the AFC have what is basically a, a cup um, competition, as well as the Champions League, so if they're going to do that, then Obviously, we should still, instead of having the premiers played and first past the post and then you win the, the the toilet seat to get into the Champions League, how about we start entering cup winners into the cup winners yeah. AFC champ, uh, tournament as we should be? We're going to get Natasha Rigby on the you line. Beauty. She has to go to a drumming session at 5-2, so we're going <laughs> to have a, a reasonably short chat with her, so we'll pack in as much as we can. <laughs> we are going to be back very shortly talking to Natasha Rigby. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Oswest Fencing and Royal Tryon. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Oswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour bond, aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at oswestfencing.com.au That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au G'day, I'm Peter Skeeler, the man behind A-LeagueStats.com and part of the world football team for 2021. Joining me this year will be women's football expert Penny Tannehoth, Ashfield Sports Club member Sean Kelly, Subutio expert Hugh Best and Junior Matilda's goalkeeper Miranda Templeman. We will be with you every Saturday morning through to the end of November talking football. Catch the show on live stream or via our new website, listen in later on the podcast or land on our Facebook page and share your football news. The World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.
That was just for you, Pete. I haven't <laughs> forgotten about you. <laughs> the world's best wingman. <laughs> How do you think that makes me feel, Pete? Oh, come on. You're going to be almost the world's best host soon. Oh, so okay. you, you're in the in-between space, yeah, mate. You're yeah, learning. Yeah. The, 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 up your... <laughs> Penn and Hugh back on the radio with you. Thanks, everyone, for listening into the World Football Program on 107.9 FM. We've got the Perth Glory W League captain with us this morning, Natasha Rigby. Good morning, Tash. Hey, guys. How are you going? We're great, uh, especially after last night's Matilda's Ooh. winger. Uh, so I was going to say, uh, winger, where, where did that come from, right? Uh, it was a bit of a cliffhanger for me. Every time that bloody app came off my television, <laughs> there was another goal being scored, and I'm like, Screaming at my 14-year-old, come on, get that hat back on. Didn't happen to us, did it, Tash? We saw it all. <laughs> it's good stuff. So the Matildas are through to the semifinals and uh, Australia's pretty happy at this moment. Uh, half unhappy because the Oliroos didn't get through, but the other half's really happy yep. that Matilda's got through. So, well done. Have you been watching the games, Tash? I have. Oh, my gosh. Last night was absolutely amazing, wasn't it? Yep. What a cliffhanger. Yep, <sighs> yep. I was a little bit worried. So I, I was a little bit worried, I must admit, watching the Matildas in, in the lead-up. So the results went... Mm. I mean, were, The U.S. game was... Yeah. Mm, but that was tournament play. They needed that result, as we discussed earlier. They needed that result, and it didn't matter how it, how it came about. Any, any positive result was putting the Matildas through in third place. Do you know what I'm really uh, yeah. missing about some of the games is I, I, I like to see creative players like that can entertain me. Yep. So I like to see midfielders that can take on a player and can put a ball, you know, thread it through the eye of the needle and put a forward player. Dan, Daniel Arzani. Yes. Uh, he's a great player. Well, the Spanish knew about him. They just kicked him as qu- quick and as often as they could until the referee stepped in and went, uh, no. <laughs> and um, across the women's um, – all of the Olympic uh, teams in, in the Olympics. I'm just trying to think of who the best creative midfielders are, and I can't, in my head, no one yeah, stuck out. Yeah, a few out. of them. Who do you think it is, Tash? Yeah, who stood out for you? Yeah, well, you're, I think you're right. You've hit the nail on the head. Like, there's some absolutely phenomenal strikers. Like, we saw both Sammy and Ellen White last yeah. night. Yeah, wasn't that great? Oh, my gosh. That was just, like, tip for tat. <laughs> hey, like, it was... It was uh, Ellen White. Oh, my gosh. She just blew me away. Yep. Hey, like, she only had very few opportunities, yep. but she finished, like, every single one. And exactly the same with us. Like, yep. Dammy yep. was so clinical up there. Like, the commentators were saying she didn't get that much of the ball, but when she got it, she was so yep. effective and so efficient with it. Yep. Yeah, well, the stats for Ellen uh, through this campaign, eight shots, eight shots on target, six goals. Really? Oh, yeah. Far Isn't out. that amazing? Unbelievable. <laughs> And how good, how good was Keegan Micah? Yeah, yeah. I, I, she was I, th- great I thought goal. she might have been a bit sus on the uh, the US goal and, and the second one last night. You have stronger hands. We've got a, a goalkeeper here who can make a bit more of a, uh, a decision on that one. But that penalty save, unbelievable. Yeah. That penalty. Mm-hmm. I'm liking Tegan Micah because it looks like she communicates really well across the back line and is comfortable receiving the ball back and putting it back out again yep, to yep. the defenders. It, she looks like a Definitely. seamless part of the defence. So, Tash, do you think yep. she's been uh, uh, anointed as the first choice just, just because of age? Because I, I was surprised when she took over Lydia's spot. Lydia Williams' spot. Oh, I don't think so. I think she's been – she obviously just came off an absolutely – a phenomenal W League uh, yes. season as yeah. well. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, we, we know that, but, yeah. you know, if, if you were to pick without having seen performances, um, that you're starting um, Matilda's goalkeeper, most people would have Lydia as, as the number one, and that's yeah. why she's got the number I one shirt. Games. I thought in the preseason games, Tegan made some absolutely amazing saves. Yep. Yep. And like you said, her distribution yeah. is pretty pinpoint. Like, 
she's able to deliver that ball to the defender's feet in the air, um, and it's yes. pretty accurate, which is what exactly what you want to see in a goalkeeper. Absolutely. You want to keep possession. You want to yep. get the ball up as quick as possible into the right spaces. And I don't think Lydia's got that as part of her game. Lydia's got other parts to her okay. game. She's she's very tall and long. Her positioning's fantastic. She's got different aspects to her game. But um, I, I'm liking Tegan Micah in, in the squad. So, Tash, what, 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 yeah. did you, what did you like about Lucy Bronze's game? You know, that must have been right up your alley, hey? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty. It was, <laughs> it was pretty amazing. <laughs> and, yeah, oh and, my goodness. And what about Marta at thirty-five? Do you think that's the last time we'll see her on the international stage? Oh, I hope not. That so woman do I. is incredible. Like I, I'm just in awe, awe of her. Like she is phenomenal and continues to just keep going and keep performing. Yep. Like keep her in, I say. Yep, four-time World Player of the Year, two-time Golden Boot winner at World Cups. I mean, I hope she plays till she's fifty-five. Yeah, me too. <laughs> 95. <laughs> 95. <laughs> Might be in the competition at that point. What about uh, uh, Mina uh, Tanaka? Did, did you catch any of her games? Did you see any of the Japan games? No, not too much, Oh, you, you missed the striker there. Crikey, she's, uh, oh. she's red hot. They were totally... You know who else I think was game. amazing? Who? Yeah, Mina Ma. Yeah. Yeah, Mina Ma. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and this is what it's about, isn't it? If we, I'm so happy that the Olympics has gone ahead, but even though I had reservations about the, the health and how they'd put the infrastructure to keep our athletes safe, the fact that, that it's streaming and the figures have been fantastic that Australia's been watching yeah. and breaking all these records, Tash, of you know, tuning in to watch the Australians, and that's what we want, really. We want young players to look at the players who are their role models and see they're doing well and have access yeah. to that and go, I want to be like that. I'm going to keep playing this sport because I can get mm. to that stage. Exactly right, and it gives you goosebumps, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. does. So, Tash, we've uh, we've played Sweden a couple of times recently. Go on, give us a yeah. prediction. What do you reckon? <laughs> Smash them six nil? I don't think so. <laughs> if it was a tit for tat game, I'd be pretty happy with that. Sam score, uh, Sam yeah. Kerr scoring their 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 strike force scoring one. Then Sam again would be great, and then, you know, tit for tat, <laughs> yeah, yeah. extra time, then penalties. I'd well, be happy with that. Actually. I mean, Sweden are averaging three goals four and one goal against per per match. But I mean, we put two past them, so that that's double what they're they're used to. So, and we saw yeah. with with um, the Holland, you know, particularly with their you know attack at all costs. I mean. Six or oh, four games, twenty-three goals in four games. But the problem That's they had, amazing. the problem they, yeah. they had, like they're averaging six goals a game, but leaking at they least two goals, goals a game. Yeah, it's like, yeah oh, that's it. it. It's finding that balance, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was just like watching Brazil, the old uh, you know nineteen seventies. Well, I don't care how many you score, we'll score more. It's like <laughs> you can't win tournaments that way. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, possibly. So, uh, Tash, just uh, moving over to Perth Glory, there's been more signings in the Perth Glory Ooh. squad, which we're loving. I, I think that puts the squad nearer capacity. Would that be right? I think we've still got a few more spots to go because I understand some of our girls have been signed on for us scholarship, I think. Oh, okay. But I think we do, we do have maybe a few more spots to fill up and I think we might be um, leaving those ones open for... A couple of local girls. I think That's Alex good. is keeping a very close eye on the WMPL, um, and we will be inviting uh, a few of those girls down to training um, as soon as possible to to kind of get started, so he can keep a very close eye on them. So that's really exciting. Have you started training? Um, we've, well, I'm training with the academy, but yeah. as you guys know, but we've started training together 
um, just running and gymming together, a few of us, uh, twice a week. And then when Alex comes over, we'll um, start to get into something a little bit more concrete. And when do we expect Alex to come? Within the Well, he's supposed to be here now, but <laughs> obviously with, with everything that's been going on, um, it's been a bit difficult to get him over here. But, yeah, literally as soon as it, um, he's able to get over here, he'll be on the next flight. Yeah, so we've got um, quite a – I'm actually quite liking our squad. I think that my count, there was about seven West Australian players that have – um, been signed at this point, in- including um, the-, the staples of yourself and Hannah Lowry, Warheads, um, McKenna. Mariana Tabane, she she resigned. Did she? Did she resign? To- not, not not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Ooh. <laughs> well, no, on. not sure. Not sure yet. You lost your phone number, have you? Give her a call. <laughs> yeah, I, can, I can get you a contact if you like from Mum. <laughs> I definitely have a contact. <laughs> no, I'm a big fan of Maz. She's one of the most amazing players yeah. I've ever played with. Yeah. yeah and we've got Kim good. back, which is very exciting. Brilliant. Yep. Yep. So we have a few new players. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about them that have signed up in the last couple of weeks. So, um, And I'm sorry if I can't pronounce some of the surnames. So Susan Fonsong, Fon come on, Tash, help me out. I think you know that, but I'm, I'm not as, yeah. That, that <laughs> was awful. Thank you for not helping me there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Demi Kulitsakis. Uh, yep, Sarah, yep. Sarah okay. Kane, Sophia Sakula. Right? Sa- 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 I'm it, pronouncing all of them wrong. Is it Kane? Are you sure? <laughs> Stop it, you. Uh, Courtney <laughs> Newborn. So there's uh, yep. five there, and I think I've got one pronunciation correct. So what, uh, Newborn? Can, can you tell us a little bit about any of those players, Tash? Yeah, well, I've heard so much um, in the lead-up about Susan and her ability. She, I've heard really, really good things from a couple of the younger players who, who have played with her um, at Youth Championships. Uh, Hannah Lowry and Letitia have both spoken very highly about her talent. I think she's very technically skilled um, and has a great attitude as well, so really excited to get her on board. Along with Courtney, um, she's approved time and time again that she is a really strong keeper and so it'll be awesome to get her on board. Demi, strong attacker and what was the other one? Sarah Kane. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and Sarah. So super excited to have her. I think she's got a lot of strength and power behind her and I spoke to her the other day. Seems like she's got an absolutely amazing attitude too. So really keen to to meet them all. Good. Uh, And I'm hoping that um, Morgan Aquino, one day we'll get her on the radio and have a chat to that young lass. But um, I think she's got Excellent uh, skills and potential. I'd like to see as her as a number one goalkeeper yep. here in Perth. I mean, she's done the, the business really. elsewhere. I want to see it done here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. And I think uh, when we did sign her, she has been performing. She was obviously able to break her way into the squad, so into a, an amazing squad that Brisbane were as well last season. Exactly. So that just mm. speaks volumes about um, her own skill and her own talent. So it would be absolutely amazing to get her in. And so, yeah, you guys should definitely chat to her. I'll get you a number. She would love to have a chat. <laughs> Thank you for she's the endorsement. Such, she's such a yes. character. <laughs> yes, very good. Um, yeah. And uh, someone else I'd like to see if you could have a word to the right people, like in the squad, <laughs> is uh, Tia Stonehill. Yes. Like, she's one of the top three goal scorers in the NPL. And mum... And top two? Uh She's second now, isn't she? Is she? she Behind Cat. Be. Well, Cat and then um, Larissa Walsh. Oh, she, Redbacks of course. Is oh yeah, Larry, yeah. Yep. 
they those three are incredible. And I know Kat's retired. Yes. So Larissa Walsh and Tia Stonehill should both have an opportunity. But I'm thinking, you know, I'm biased. Tia Stonehill has been playing out of her skin <laughs> this season. The best I've ever seen that girl play. And she's scoring Amazing. goals. And that's what we want, right? And, and so is Larry. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Biased. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Trust me when I say Alex has definitely been watching, and he watches all the WMPL matches. And so, um, yeah, I know I've played with Tia for many, many years, and she's not only a great player, but just such a firecracker as a human being as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, she has definitely been performing um, along with Larry too. There's some real talent in the in the local league at the moment, so it's really exciting to see. Yeah, and it's good if there's a couple of spots that Alex is contemplating some more local signing. I, I really uh, like to hear that. And just on the, the local league with the NPL, sitting on top of the table at the moment, and I'm, I know there's so many midweek games and catch-up games happening, but I think this is the table as of today. Northern Redbacks sitting on top with 33 points, yep. then Mum um, uh-huh. FC, yep. 32, and Frio, and then Perth Soccer Club, and games over this weekend... Uh, actually, Frio and Subi played last night, and I don't they know did. what the yep. result yep. of that is. Uh, Frio 1, Subi 2. Okay, right. Nice. Yep. Interesting. Uh, yep. And then Mum and NTC are playing Sunday. Yep. Northern uh, Redbacks are playing Perth Soccer Club Sunday, and that would leave Balcatta and Curtin also on Sunday. Yeah, so that, that's Perth being the home team there. So those, yep. those that rock up to... Uh, yep. To see the Redbacks playing at home, we'll find an empty stadium. They will. So, yeah, go to um, <laughs> footballwest.com.au and go to the NPL link at the bottom yep. of the website to track where they're playing and what time's there. And there's been a few catch-up games. Mum played Perth Soccer Club midweek on yep. the turf over at the stadium and, and, and it was a 2-0 win to Mum. Yes. And Fremantle played Northern Redbacks, <laughs> and that was 2-0 to Northern Redbacks. Two, yeah. I, I watched both of those games on the live show. I'm loving this yeah, live yeah, stream. It's great. So many late yeah, yeah. nights, but it's great. How can, good is it? It's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, but d- just the difference in the two grounds. Like, we had some horrible weather this week. Yes, horrible, 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 horrible. Mm-hmm. And the turf at um, the stadium at Murdoch is absolutely a dream to play yes. on in terms of um, the, the water goes away. Yep. It's a bit cold and windy up there. So it's kind of like the windy hill of the south yep. area. Yep. No, I was going to go to that and then, and then I saw the weather and went oh, I can watch it on the live stream with yeah. the heater on I know <laughs> <laughs> now that I don't referee anymore I think, no I don't have to go do you, out in that you know, weather anymore you're, you're the problem okay because Graham Normanton was just saying how do we get people down to games right and there you are watching it at home I blame Football West they made, they made the access so easy <laughs> but um, we are we are watching we've just got to convert that into something that I don't know I don't know what it is anyway um, so yeah those midweek games and I'm not sure if there's any more catch up midweek games but uh, oh, they'd have to be wouldn't they with with uh, a couple of sides there so I mean Perth are two games behind are they yeah well, according, okay. according to the ladder that's there gotcha. so I've, yep. we've got um, Perth with a, two games in hand Balcatta with a game in hand NTC with two in hand so yep. you know they're the players that are going there and we've got Fremantle have played an extra game than the rest of the league so there's there's catch up games to be had there you go okay. Tash, it's been absolutely awesome having a chat to you, and I know you've got to go, so I really do appreciate your time today. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. See you later. See you, Tash. Stay Ta-da, safe. Tash. That Off was Natasha the... Rigby, the captain of the Perth Glory yep. W League team. Off to drumming. I know. Hey, multi-talented, that girl. She just gets out and about and <laughs> lives life, that one. Good to hear. Um, so W League season starting 13th of November? 
Yep. Um, and uh, our coach is caught up over east. In at the moment, unfortunately. Caught up in over east at the moment with, with COVID and mm-hmm. signings are still happening, which is great. I'm so glad we are being proactive. Yep. Um, for the fans, we can see action. Mm-hmm. Um, not, you know, with, with feet on the ground just yet, but the signings mean that we've got a squad that we can start to get to know and hopefully entices a few people to get some memberships and form groups, get down to games yeah, well, that's, maybe. Uh, Tony Pignano was saying that at least now, uh, unlike last year, it was so fluid whether we would actually have a team in the W League. It w- I mean, there was, you know, almost the 11th hour that Perth wouldn't have a W League side because of the situation that's there. At least this year, it's it's more uh, solid and we can put in plans, we can get players in with the confidence that the league and Perth Glory will be in it. Yeah. Um, is there any... Any other news we need to throw in that we haven't covered quite yet? Oh, I did want to mention when we had the conversation with Graham too that 6PR have actually, uh, well, Football West, have formed a partnership with 6PR and in the evenings they uh, give the results of the men's and the women's uh, NPL games. Sensational. Our sister station here um, at uh, Sport FM 91.3, they do a regular uh, local roundup on... Tuesdays, Tuesday mornings after about ten past nine with um, with uh, oh Tommy Dolman. Jeez, I had a brain fade there. Yeah, yeah Metro Porter for yeah, West. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. have Tommy on from time to so, time on the th- show. Giving a plug to a couple of other stations, but uh, you know, it, we'd love you to stay here on ninety one or one hundred seven point nine FM Radio Fremantle to get all your info. But if you do happen to swing around that dial, well, there's a couple of other places where you can catch it. Yeah, thanks for listening in, everyone. It's great to be back bantering football again, nice yep. and casual. Uh, the next guest we've got coming up is uh, Elizabeth Ray, who is a local government councillor and the president of the Football Hall of Fame Western Australia. And our final guest for the show will be Simon Hicks. We're going to go to a break and come back soon with more football banter. <laughs> Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Let us tell you something about us. If there were no stadiums, no floodlights, no mascots, no commentators, no headlines, no cameras, no contracts, no adverts. Hell, if there was no ball, we'd play anyway. And then we'd find a ball, put nets up, pick sides, Take sides. We talk about it. Argue about it. Sponsor it. Film it. Play it. Live it. Because that's the thing about us. We are football. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station Sponsor. West Coast Futsal Association was established to develop and promote the game of futsal. With a vibrant new look and re-imaging, we are now 
Futsal WA, with a dedication to capture the fast growth of the sport at all levels. Futsal WA is Futsal in Western Australia. Futsal WA provides boundless opportunities to play with grassroots and junior leagues, pathways to academies, and elite club competitions and representative futsal that can help you follow a dream of professional futsal in Europe or Asia. With four venues across Perth, as an individual or as a group of mates who want to play, there's a junior, men's, women's or mixed competition that will suit you. Contact us to get involved in futsal, an action-packed sport and the fastest growing sport in Australia. Contact us at Futsal WA on 0432 745 140 via email at info at or via our website www.futsalwa.org.au Welcome back to the World Football Programme. You've got Penn and Hugh. Unfortunately. Come on, Hugh. Come on. <laughs> You've got me again. And uh, <laughs> at this this week, the connections have been really good, but we don't yeah, have I'm a storm raging yeah. behind me. But sometimes <laughs> if a, a line disconnects or there's crazy weather outside, it goes a bit staticky. So sometimes we can get a landline, which is really unusual because people don't all have landlines yep. these days. But um, we've got Liz on a landline, so it's all good. Good morning, Liz. How are you? Uh, good morning, everybody. And yes, landlines are important. They still do um, prior exist. To, <laughs> and prior to NBN going through, if you have a power failure, you can actually use your landline when you don't have any power. Yes. But with NBN, it's all cut off now. That is true. Yep. That is so which, true. Which is terrible technology and unfair for people who are elderly who don't have the internet. I never even thought about no. that. Well said, Liz. Exactly right. Wow. All, all us uh, y- young, younger generation um, things that just use all these technologies and just expect them to work. Hmm. Yeah. What do we call that? Complacency. Just. Uh, but then again, uh, the NBN is pretty decent in that it doesn't disconnect that often. I mean, <coughs> yeah. And uh, what were you saying uh, about that app? Or you're just blaming the app? Yeah. All right. Fine. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so, El- Elizabeth Ray, welcome to the show. <laughs> Very much. And we're all in a buzz because the Matildas did yeah. a fantastic job and actually all our Olympians are doing a wonderful job yep. in very trying circumstances and I think they they should all be rewarded for attending, for complying yeah. by the rules yep. and giving their awesome best to yep. make sure that the Olympics stay alive in anybody's, everybody's hearts. Because well, well said. Well, yep. While COVID is bringing everybody together in the world in not, shall we say, nicer circumstances, the Olympics bring everyone in the world together to make people realise as one regarding of wars, racism, nationality or anything else, we all are one. And I think that's one of the most important things that we can do as humans. Yeah, uh, that's pretty well said and, yeah. I, that's I, two for two, Liz. Go for yeah, the hat-trick. Yeah, good job. All right. <laughs> 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 okay. So let's talk about yeah, uh, locally here in Perth and Western Australia. What's across uh, Elizabeth Ray's agenda? Like what's the most talked about topics? Well, at the moment, the most talked about topic, at least once a day, is the current situation of our weather. We've had the most consecutive days of rain since 1956 (laughs) and we've had the most rainfall in July ever. So this has put a lot of pressure on um, uh, drains, um, on Mm. areas. Um, 
where it used to be swamps, etc., but now have houses or now have playing fields and rubbish tips that became playing fields. So when it rains, they get inundated with water. So what we're finding is, especially with the floods the last couple of weeks, is that a lot of um, sporting ovals, a variety of disciplines, sporting disciplines have all flooded and so have their change rooms. And um, yeah. I can recall about 25 years ago, my kids were playing junior soccer at Wembley Down Soccer Club that the Wembley Down Soccer Club Not started. Not the same change room, I hope. Yeah. Same change rebuilt since then? No. What? Uh, no. That's no, not rebuilt. Well, it's the same not one. Same change room. Yep. And when I, when I was fortunate enough to be elected into council, one of the things I, I asked for was for a drain to be put on to stop the water going straight into the club rooms, which they did, which was great, and fulfilled a good purpose when it wasn't raining lots. But since then, it's got inundated a couple of years ago and then, unfortunately, last week got severely rained upon and flooded out again. So sometimes it's a design fault, sometimes it's God, sometimes (laughs) it's climate change, for those who want to say. But overall, we have to look at some of these facilities a bit better and in order for local government to address these issues really need for the clubs to come forward and not just say well it'll be okay next year or we'll fix it up next year we actually have to have the clubs coming forward with a strategy um which i'm raising at the moment do we make you know we've got a problem in the sense if we make things higher we've got um disability access is an Mm -hmm. issue We've got age, we've got little kids. Sometimes making it higher and having steps isn't the answer. Sometimes if you make ramps, all you're doing is having a funnel, a tunnel for the rain to go straight off into club rooms. Mm. So it's it's something which we have to champion as a team. And the people that are at the clubs are the best people to say, well, hey, why don't we do A, B and C? So I'd like to ask the clubs to come forward and and approach your council wherever you are and just say, look, this is the photos of flooding. This is what happened last time. We've been thinking, why don't we get that drain fixed up? They won't do this. And then the councils can put it in their budget. I mean, you can't stop a one in 100 year flood. I mean, you just can't do it. But we can mitigate the loss to the club rooms, we can mitigate the uh, impact it has on clubs which are already severely impacted because of COVID, because of the weather, because of society, because of funding, you know, you've got to work together and I've spoken to Sharif at Football West about this and, and he he agrees that um, we need to hear from the clubs so we can they can help and we can help in the local government realm. So I think People are already shattered from from COVID. They're shattered because they don't have enough finances. And then the storm just, you know, was just a trifecta, a triangle, a Bermuda triangle of where we're going in the world. Hmm. So do you think that with the upcoming Women's World Cup and the review of facilities, the audit that Football West did of all the facilities in Western Australia, do you think that there is um, some real action on the short horizon? I think it's a great opportunity for the clubs to come forward and sit there and say, what about me? Yeah. You know, we have been doing... I know clubs that have built the toilets, built the showers, 
um, built their kitchen because they got sick of waiting for the council to do something. They, well, they weren't in an area that attracted state or federal funding because of politics, yes. you know, and they've got off and done things. But I, I think if we're, whether we, whether your um, field, whether your club gets chosen by FIFA for a training venue for anything else, it's a really great opportunity to showcase what great clubs we've got, what what facilities we can improve on, even as I've mentioned previously about the women's change room. Scott Morrison has has said he's promised $20 million to upgrade. Well, you've got to go and put your name down to get access to them. And 2023 isn't far away when you look at councils have got a budget a year ahead and you've got to get finance, you've got to get plans. So they really need to sit down while everything's going wrong now and work out how can this be fixed up? Do we need another entrance? Do we need to change the direction you know, build a proper moat around it or something, you know. It's <laughs> difficult to think. We went really down in particular, we've got this sump right next door and you think, just get the water to go that way and not that way. But yep. Nah. Yep, when I was refereeing in Kalgoorlie, it wasn't quite a moat, but they had the, the pitches... Um, With drainage? Drainage t- towards them, uh, each other, and there was a, just a, a river... When it, and it really rained in cow, obviously, but when it did, it used to, you could float a boat down, the, down but, that but canal. But it was away from the pitch? But it was away, away from the pitch, yep. Yeah. Both pitches were sloping towards each other, towards a little culvert, I suppose is the correct phrase, yeah. and the water yeah. would just, off it went. Okay, so you could keep playing? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I can remember Bayswater Oval when I was younger, and uh, it would actually be just a sea of water, and you'd still have to go out. No, I, I had a, a, a cup semi-final at Bayswater when I was refereeing, and uh, as the referee, you, you're the, the the person that indicates whether the pitch is playable. It was underwater, and I went, well, sorry, guys, we're, we're not playing. Mm-hmm. And one of the clubs, I won't mention which of the, which of the two clubs did, but they, they were confident that they were going to win because the other club had some injuries, and they got brooms that were just brooming the water off the pitch and I'm going guys it's it, it's raining and the pitch is underwater you brooming the pitch is not going to do anything wow. apart from damaging the pitch and yeah eventually they really d- wanted to play that they game they really wanted to play and I thought and even then I thought why is the drainage here that, uh, that probably how many years ago would that have been 10, uh, 20 oh come on Pen. she's Two? having a go again no no I'm just wondering because yeah. like now now with the referees yeah they, about, about 10 years ago yeah, yeah okay so now with the referees, when the weather is such that they just say, we'll postpone the fixture, and it could be a midweek fixture yeah. or a night fixture. No, no, and again, of, because yeah. it was such a, a, a significant uh, fixture, I got there, uh, whew, I'm guessing probably about two hours before kickoff, and went, we're not playing here. And within that two hours, one club had players on the pitch in their boots going, we need to play, we yeah. want to win this game. Which they eventually did. So on good, another day. Good. No, no, yeah. that day. Good oh. for them. Yeah, yeah. But I'm we a... have to be reminded yeah. of the fact that that soccer football is a winter sport. That's right. Yeah. And, and, we'll that, and in the old days, they did play That's regardless right. of what they yeah. looked like. And that was part of the argument given to me by by the club that uh, one of the games played. It's a winter game. What do you expect? Of course, yes. it's going to rain. I'm going. Well, I don't expect to swim while I'm playing. So that, that <laughs> that's curious. And I think we should probably ask Simon that. Uh, like, in, in what? Uh, what condition does it need to get to before a game is called off? I think that's probably going to be like high on the agenda of, <laughs> um, when referees turn up to pitches at the moment and it's got the conditions you're talking about, Hugh, when the referee goes, nah, or yep, or we can wait five minutes and see how that goes mm. kind of thing. Yeah. 
Mm. Well, they did have a, a criteria. When I used to sit on the Australian Women's Sports Recreation Council, they they used to have a criteria. If it went over a certain temperature, yes. if, it, if the mm. pitch actually had so many um, centimetres of water yep. and they had a chill factor. Exactly right. Yeah, and those are all sensible um, um, conditions to to take into a into consideration. Yeah, because you've got to put player safety paramount. Yeah. You know, the game can be played hopefully today, but maybe next week, maybe next month. But player safety is today and paramount in in every decision made. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, Liz, just on the fact that um, you know, we've just identify that there are some clubs that have facilities that are probably pretty outdated and ready to be <laughs> rolled over and rebuilt. Um, is that happening? Is there, you know, give us some examples out there in the grassroots scenario where there is building happening. Well, you've got Gwellup, Croatia, where in order to be compliant with the Football West rules, they, they've been trying to build their grandstand mm-hmm. for a number of years. Uh, and they're still working on that. But, you know, again, it comes to climatic conditions, financial conditions, COVID conditions, and and so those sort of things are taking longer than I expect. Um, I had a meeting with the... um, a great meeting with the CEO of uh, the WACA the other day, Christine Matthews, Christine Matthews, who's an excellent CEO. Yes. And they're actually taking down, as part of the WACA redevelopment, they're taking down the um, some of the stands. And, I mean, they've got rows of seating yep. there, which they haven't quite decided how, uh, how they're going to dispose of it. And I said, well... There's a lot of clubs out there that you know, they just need some seating or they need, may need grandstanding, you know. Put it out there. Maybe just put it out to Football West or put it out to the AFL, put it out to local government land, you know, that you could have them in parks and that. Then they don't go to waste. It's economical. They can become compliant. Or just put it on Facebook Marketplace. It'll go in a snap. <laughs> <laughs> or put it on Parson yeah. So, you know, those are, and she was, you know, she's really into sustainability. They, they really want to make sure that they do the right thing and they know resources are tough. So, I mean, this is a great opportunity for us all to work together for the good of the community and the good of the sporting community, you know, the sharing, which used to go on years and years ago. And I think, you know, if you could get some of the seats and, you know, get some money from local government or from a fundraising for the concrete, you know, you've got to stand. Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, And I think that's where we've got to go. We've got to, we've got to work together in these economic times as... We don't really want more stuff coming over from China. Let's use the resources we've got now and share the resources we've got. And, and we all benefit across the board. All sporting domains are in the same boat, so why not share? Yeah, yeah. And look, it can only get more concentrated, can it, as population and density increases. We need to use those facilities. The The demand on them gets higher, so... You can't build parks upwards or downwards under the ground. You've and you need a lot of space to to play sport. Like just need that, that grass space in good condition or turf, or and we also need them for mental health. There's the absolutely pos- the problems yeah. associated with living in these concrete structures, especially especially high rise. Um, people need that green. They need that. Um, space to walk, to talk, to feel human, to engage with people without necessarily having a conversation. 
we are humans after all and I think sometimes with technology we're you know everybody thinks that a screen is my best friend yes <laughs> you know the power goes out you've got no friends <laughs> yes <laughs> so, well you can use you a torch it. on your phone <laughs> <laughs> you've got no power <laughs> So, you know, I, I think the um, having a park, having the trees, um, I'm very supportive of having um, fruit trees and, and olive trees and that in parks so people can share the produce, community gardens for people that, again, these concrete density developments which don't allow fruit trees, etc. I mean, what is popular uh, more so, I mean, even when I lived up north with my children and that, the... Um, we used to have hanging baskets and grow strawberries and yes. um, cherry ripe tomatoes that the kids could just go and get because the ground was like rock in a, yes. in, in a mining town. So, you know, it's really hard to grow anything up. So I grew it above. Now, I mean, this could be encouraged for the people that live in these concrete places and people that are, you know, four units into a, four houses into a block that had one. You know, the space is becoming difficult but we need it for our mental health and, and we need to eat fresh fruit and vegetables as well actually liz you bring up a good point um the vegetables is a good point but i'm thinking about where people play football and if you think of other countries and you think of brazil for example and i think of Pelé, brazil and i think of how he grew up playing football and where mm-hmm. he played the football it was on the streets it was yes. street football so they didn't have a ball or he didn't have a ball when he played they used whatever to kick around yep they make makeshift, and it was on on the streets. Like, and they probably had bare feet back they then. Yep. And Mar- Maradona about, had bare feet, yeah. when he was playing on the streets. Yep. Think yep. about in England, the kids would kick balls around on the yep. roads. Jumpers for goalposts. So, Ooh, suit you. It's to- it's totally okay to use whatever spaces you've got, as long as we can make it safe, mm. or the kids have a bit of awareness around them. So it doesn't have to be the perfect place. I mean, we do get used used to things here in Australia being pretty well looked after and, and conditioned and expecting and yeah. being able to get better things because that's the society and infrastructure and government support that we've got. So we're pretty blessed here in Australia. But it's it doesn't have to be that way. We can make shift. We can make do. You don't have to well, have the perfect some, ground to play football. Yeah, well, in some of the bowling clubs, because... Um, it used to be a pattern that used to be people over 60 at bowling clubs and now we're seeing a big turnaround of younger people come and play social bowls and use it as a, you know, like the social, yeah. the, the local hotel, the local um, tavern, the local that. They use it as a bowling club so they can bring their children there, the children can run around, they can um, have some cheap drinks, it's yeah. only 30 bucks usually to, to join and so... Some of the bowling clubs have converted some of their greens into um, uh, community gardens. So they're growing vegetables in that. And so you can buy, like, I think it's two square metres of land for, um, for at least for a year for like $20 or $30 or something, not very much. And you can plant your own vegetables in it, or the club does it and they sell it to people. So I think that's a great initiative that's already going on in WA to support local communities, to support people in density developments and, and and people can have their little patch of garden and go in and chat with people in the club and, yeah. That was... Uh, I'm just thinking how that was related to football. How was that related to football, Liz? <laughs> because it's another sporting domain. That doesn't mean that yeah. we can't have it 
at the end of a footy oval. That's we right. We can have it at the end of a soccer oval, sit there and have a similar community garden, you know, where you can do the same. You and know? When, when the kids uh, finish being ball boys, they can go and have a fossick in the garden and play on the swings down the end of the park or something. Yeah, I mean, they're, yeah, well, thinking outside of the box, I guess. Well, there's a, that's well, basically... I think we've got to look to the future, yeah. that if we, uh, you know, with road, rail, to- transport, petrol, COVID, lockdown, you know, we need to be more sustainable, more um, consistent living, sustainable living in Western Australia. So yeah. uh, let's look at the land we've got, let's look at the community we've got, and if somebody's sitting there planting a seed and can watch it grow, the mental health rewards of that are, are fantastic. Yep. So I was going to say that, to, down, down to your patch of the woods there, Pen, Pen, uh, Mum FC, Last time I was down there, there was kids running around on the footy oval next door. That yeah. yeah, you've got the trees down the other end of the the, the pitch. Yeah. You've got some um, available area just in front of the car park there. Yeah. there's plenty of places. What uh, Elizabeth is saying that you, you could actually implement at Mum without even without even trying too hard to think of what can we do. It's it's mm. th- the, the space is there. It's just got to be utilised correctly. And governments like that, don't they, Liz? They like the multi-use yep. of the space so that it can connect lots of different parts of the community together. Well, the thing mm. is, too, you know, you've already got the water there, you've already got the power there, yeah. you've already got the security there, and you've got different sporting disciplines coming virtually every day of the week, every day of the year because of which sport's going on. So you've got the eyes on the street for people to look after it. You've also got that connectivity of people sitting there. And, you know, if you watch a kid, um, you know, plant, you know, a bamboo shoot or um, a carrot, the top of the carrot, yes, and they see the carrot grow, you know, it's like little eyes are just like, whoa, really, that's yeah. where a carrot come from? like watching a chicken lay an egg and they go, hmm, where did that happen? Okay, Liz, let's talk about the Football Hall of Fame. What's happening in that space? Well, the Football Hall of Fame is going very well. We had our inaugural um, AGM, which is sounds like we've had AGMs before, but this is our first one under our, now that we've um, Incorporated. covered under an Incorporations Act, and so that went off very well, and... Uh, Thanks to our wonderful secretary, Penny, we are compliant with everything, unless she's not telling me something, but (laughs) otherwise, we are compliant with everything, so that's good. So now that we've got all the paperwork in order, um, we are working towards our um, 25th anniversary. We will be doing some um, live streaming, um, interviews, podcasts, whatever you would like to call it. Uh, of different people over the 25 years to capture what they think about football in Western Australia and how they contributed, and we'll have those ready to go. Uh, we're also going to do our booklet, which we've done every year, every time we've had a um, milestone anniversary, and um, and that will be ready. The venue, well, depending on COVID, depending mm. on what goes on, We'll have to just watch this space, but we will have something. Whether it's a virtual reality or a face-to-face, we will sit there and acknowledge, we will sit there and commemorate the fact that, uh, you know, 25 years we've been working towards keeping the memorabilia and the history of football alive in Western Australia as we go towards having our museum, which hopefully will be all done and 
and ready before the World Cup 2023. So when people start coming to see the different people come and play and tourism back on deck, we'll be able to showcase um, all the fantastic history we have of football in Western Australia. And, <clears throat> excuse me, let's not forget that one of the largest antiques and collectors fairs in Western Australia, um, which happens twice a year at the Claremont Showgrounds, um, the Football Hall of Fame have a presence there and there's like absolutely thousands of people that come along there and have a chat about football. That happens in, well, COVID has affected the dates of it for sure, but usually in April yeah, and November. Yeah, yeah, so, um, and oh, look, as the Secretary, you know, obviously see uh, what's going on and... Brett, oh, that, Brett, was, that was you, Penny. Yeah, that was me. There's, oh, uh, there's not many other pennies out there. Yeah, I thought it might have been. Um, but <laughs> Brett Klusnik has been absolutely <laughs> instrumental in collecting memorabilia uh, for us and sitting down and chatting with people and just uh, ensuring that you know, anybody that's out there that um, has anything that they want to have longevity in uh, football is kept together. So we have a store which is going towards the museum eventually and it's just growing and growing and growing. So thanks to everybody mm. that is donating things and um, Brett's fantastic at posting things up onto the website, so uh, the Football Hall of Fame website and the Facebook page, recognising everything there. And um, we're just loving all the stories that come forward with that and we want to protect it. I mean, that's part of the Football Hall of Fame's job is to recognise football in the community and uh, protect it for the the football community forever. So you know, we're working towards all these great things. They'll come eventually and we're just uh, doing what we need to do uh, along the way. And Liz, did you want to mention um, the, the committee members, the groups uh, expanding? Oh, you can. Oh, well, we've got Paul McVittle is uh, our, one of our newest um, board members and a uh, couple more to go. And then we should be complete. And yep. he has also taken on the role of treasurer. Yep, so. So we, if anyone wants to donate millions to us um, <laughs> towards our museum, we are quite open for that. Now, treasurer is just ready with the uh, checkbook. Yeah, Paul, Paul McVitie has just come on board and um, Vince Matassa, uh, most people would know Vince from uh, Perth Glory. I've got a signed shirt from Vince. Course. Maybe I'll donate that to He's the uh, Hall nice of Fame lad. Museum. Yep. Yep, so um, yeah, the committee's growing and um, quite a productive lot we are, yep. which is fantastic. Um, yeah, just uh, moving along in that space in our in our quiet kind of way mm -hmm. and loving what we're doing. Uh, Liz, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate, as always, the, the stories and connections that you bring. Appreciated. Uh, no worries. I'd just like to say beforehand, uh, I'd just like to say a cheerio to... Um, um, Jerry Mayo, who's not quite well at the moment, and who is an inspiration and a stalwart of the Bayswater um, Soccer Club, yep. who, who has done so many things for football uh, over the years, and you know their grandstand keeping it going under you know tough conditions over all these years. I mean, um, you know, there's not too many people who can say that they they started and they're still there yep. so big cheery to jerry mayo and to stay strong yep no he's a gentleman jerry one of the first people when i was refereeing one of the first people i saw every time i rocked up as a referee was jerry big smile on his face always yep. always happy to see everybody so always very welcoming and you know had a nice steady ship yep so, yeah so best wishes to you, jerry 
stay safe, everybody, yep. and uh, go Matildas, yep. and go our Olympians who are doing Australia proud. They are. Good one. Thanks, Liz. Stay Thank safe. You, Liz. No worries. Bye. That was Elizabeth Ray, who is the president of the Football Hall of Fame Western Australia and a local government member. Yep. Northern suburbs, mainly, I, I, think, I think so. travels yeah. around the area. And with Bayswater being mentioned there, we'll go through the uh, the NPL uh, fixtures for today. Obviously, there was, well, not obviously, those that may not know about it, there was a f- game played last night, which was Perth Glory 1, Armadale SC 1. And today's fixtures is Gwellup Croatia versus Perth Soccer Club. Obviously, that will be at the Croatian Sports Complex in Gwellup. We've got Coburn versus Floriot. That's at Dalmatic Park. ECU Joondalup versus Balcatta. That's at the ECU Joondalup Football Stadium. Inglewood will play Bayswater. That's at Inglewood Stadium. Sorrento will play Rockingham City at Windy Hill, as I've been told to <laughs> call it from now on. <laughs> with the ladder now, Floriot, with that lead very much being uh, narrowed down by Perth SC. Floriot, top of the table with 33 points. Perth nipping on their heels with 32 points. Sorrento in third place with 29 and Perth Glory uh, in fourth place. And at the other end of the table, we have Rockingham, Balcatta, and then Gwellup in 10th position. So that's how that's going there. For the State League Division 1, we have Swan versus Ashfield, Joondalup versus Quinns, Mandra versus Fremantle, Graham Normington's Forestfield United will play one of Graham Normington's first ever clubs and previous uh, coaching club, Olympic Kingsway. Sterling Lions will play Subiaco, as that should be Sterling Macedonia. Sorry to those that are listening. And UWA versus Western Knights. And that puts Sterling top of the table with 40 points, 10 points clear of Quinns in second, and the Western Knights in third place on 28 points. And at the other end of the table, Sean Kelly, block your ears. Ashfield, uh, bottom of the table at the moment, 10 points. Swan United, 12. And Forestfield will be, as Graham says, working their way up the table. And with the State League 2, we've got, uh, there we go, sorry, Canning versus uh, Morley, Curtin University versus Gosnells, Joondalup City versus Karamar Shamrock, Mum versus Balga, uh, Kingsley Westside versus Kelmscott, and Dianella versus Wanneroo City. Now, I don't know why they're going to play that Dianella game because they are top of the table by, let's have a look there, that is... 14 points. They are top of the table with 43 points. Next, Kingsley uh, Westside on 29 points. Wanneroo City on 25 points. I suppose that's why they're playing it. It's a top of the table clash. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the other end of the table, Kelmscott on four points. They're having a really tough season. Poor Kelmscott, but they're still battling away there. Canning and then Morley. So the We're weather gonna... is clearing up, so get yourself down there. Most of those games will start at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Yeah, go mum and uh, Tacky Nicolaitis is uh, going to get his pronunciation right. One That's day. close. We're going to have him on the show in the next couple of weeks and have a chat. Brilliant. He's now coaching at Mum FC, so it'd be great to catch up and see uh, how he's uh, settling in at the club and yep. the coaching style that he's got and how he's finding well, it works. the environment. I mean, I, I, I love Tacky. We've uh, you know <laughs> a long history, Tacky myself, uh, yeah, as, as player referee and as player coach. 
And I, you know, sort of that sort of stuff. Good fun. Uh, a big hi to Dave Kindness, who always checks in when he's listening. Good on you, Dave. Appreciate you listening in and everyone else who's listening out there and lobbing onto our Facebook page and commenting and posting. Really do appreciate that. Please uh, do like the page and become a member of it and post away. It's appreciated that you share information for everyone else to share as well. Hugh, do you have the um, Women's State League Division 1? Ha ha! Yes, I do. Oh, you just go for it then. Do it. <laughs> we have uh, playing today, uh, no, playing tomorrow, sorry. It's Sterling Macedonia versus ECU Joondalup. We've got Sorrento versus Perth AFC. Armadale SC Women's State League, as it's uh, given its first full name, will play UWA Netherlands. Mandra City FC against Southwest Phoenix, so the Southwest Derby is uh, is on there. And Gwellup Croatia have the bye. And table? The table. See, you made me do some research. I've got that all under control. Good table man. is currently after uh, 13 rounds. Uh, UWA top of the table with 32 points. Southwest Phoenix, having played only 10 games, are on 26, so they're only uh, six points behind up. with uh, three games mm. in hand. Sorrento FC have played 12 games on 26 points. ECU Joondalup have played 11 games and are on 19 points. So, obviously, there's been a few... Um, Fixtures postponed there in that division. Yeah, weather's been a bit crazy. Weather's been crazy. There's been something else. Co- COVID yeah, was there at some that, point yeah. as well. And at the other end of the table, uh, Gwellup, who, as I say, have the bye, have played 12. They've got five points. And Sterling Macedonia, who have also played 12, are on seven points. And Mandra City, with a big chance to get out, have only played the 10, but they've got nine points. So, you know, nearly a point a game. If you can average that in most leagues, you are going to be pretty comfortable. Thanks, Hugh. No trouble. We are going to go to a break and we'll come back and chat more football with Simon Hicks covering what's happening in the referee space. This Good is one. Penn and Hugh on the World Football Program. Thank you for listening in. Stay tuned. We are one But we are many And from husband decided, yes, we've got to get out of India, and we were accepted to Australia, and we came here, and the rest is history, really. At that time, all the Anglo-Indians were leaving. We sent my younger sister to England, and we were going to follow, and we never followed. The doctor said my husband wouldn't make it because of the weather, so then we applied to come here. I think that we made a fantastic choice. Hey Nan, just want to say how grateful I am you chose Australia as your country from India. So proud to be 
your granddaughter. So proud to represent my country and hopefully every time I step on the field and wear our last name, I represent my family well. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Miss you, love you, hope you're well and I'll see you soon. Oh, that's fantastic. Isn't that amazing? Am I the first one to have one in the family? <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> I came here. I just I used to cry all the time because I'd never ironed anything. I'd never cooked. So I would go, go to the butcher and say, wait for everyone to leave the shop and say, excuse me, could you tell me what that is? Oh, that's so and so so. Could you tell me how to cook it, please? And I'd go home and cook it. And nobody could eat it. Out would come the ham and eggs. <laughs> she just loved her sport. She was always kicking a ball, running around. Why not throw in the flip? There's the backflip. I love her cartwheel ones. And the one that was on the opera house, that was just amazing. So how do you feel when you actually see her playing for Australia? Oh, it's, it's, it's hard to describe the feeling. It's so, pr it's so much pride. It's absolutely amazing. The places she's traveled to, and it's, it's such a mixed culture. The people she's met and the people that I've met through her games, you know. Oh, I just love to watch her play. It's so sad that she's so far away now. All the way through for Whenever she comes home, she's always here. Or we go out for a coffee or lunch. She never fails to come and see me and take me out. I know she thinks of me all the time, but it was just unbelievable getting that jersey. Thank you so much, darling. I love you. Keep safe. Listen to this, Muppet. Every week he does this, screaming and shouting at the ref. Ref! Ref! That's a yellow card, ref! Card him! Yellow card him, ref! Yellow card him! How are these kids supposed to learn the game if you don't know the game? He's an animal! Give him Look at him, the ref. But he gives up his Saturday mornings to do this. Now, was it the right decision? It might have been, it might not have been. Who knows? We all make mistakes. You mug! Would you take this at work? Nah. Okay, thank you. No, you. don't thank me, thank you! Just clear the You're plan area, please. You ain't got a clue! Alright. You see, Dad's trying to live out his own dreams through his son. Daddy, what's the matter with you? That's a suicide of How's he supposed to learn? Rosie! If he can't make his own mistakes. Referee, you're not watching the game, mate. You're watching me. You ain't gonna see nothing here. It's no wonder we're losing so many refs when we're having a problem. Welcome back to the World Football Program. Penn and Hugh here. Hugh, settle down, right? No, no, I, that, no. I know that ad got you going, oh, mate. <laughs> what a muppet. <laughs> Simon Hicks, good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I was just going to say, that sounds like some of the phone calls I receive on a Monday morning. Oh I was going to say, how oh fired up you to hear that one, Simon? <laughs> yeah, that's our lot, isn't it, when we were in the middle? Yeah. Yeah, we were just talking earlier about the, the number of referees, uh, the club referees that are stepping up to do the job this season. I, I would say maybe one in three, one in four games in the junior space of 16, 15, 16, 17 year old spaces are taken by club referees. I don't know how that rates in numbers of previous years, but the good thing about it is that 
Um, you, you know when you're not going to have a referee because you can look on the match sheet and you can see the, mm. the t- tick or otherwise, allocated referee or otherwise. So if you plan and you know that, then you can get a referee there. So the game should be seamless. Well, it, it'll go ahead. Yep. Um, you know, not necessarily going to be seamless, but it also means that if your own club referee is going to be doing the job, that hopefully you'll be a bit nicer and your behaviour will be good and so forth and so forth. Hopefully, come on. I mean, yep. familiarity, we've talked about this before, haven't we, Simon? If you provide your own club referee, yep. you're more likely to have an affinity towards that person. Yep. Certainly. I mean, I mean, look, from our perspective, we, we'd obviously want 100% coverage of, of our referees on, on game. Um, but where, where that's not possible... Um, you know, a club referee, that could potentially be an avenue into refereeing for someone, um, for a volunteer that might try and think, actually, I wanted, I wanted to start doing this properly. Um, and that's where our, our club referee programs come in, where we're trying to liaise with clubs around, um, you know, potentially hosting their own referee courses to try and target those people that, that might step in and say, well, why don't you do it officially? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I remember we, we um, back when I was still active as a referee, we were very strong in the uh, program of getting uh, club assistants to go through the the course just to just to be an assistant that way we'd have a, you know some confidence in the club assistant is that still current yeah yeah no we still um, get out to clubs um to deliver club assistant referee workshops um they last hour hour and a half and be done on a, on a training night so you you know potentially you could have the the kids training and the, and the parents doing their um, assistant referee workshop because the parents are more than likely the ones filling in. <laughs> yes. Um, performing that role, the one who draws the short straw each week. So, um, yeah, that's something that we definitely still do. Um, and, yeah, potentially as well, that could be an avenue into, into officiating for someone. Yeah, well, that's exactly the, the avenue that uh, I took to become a, a, a referee of some standing was uh, I was club manager uh, in Adelaide, West Lakes, uh, West Beach. For those that know the Adelaide area, the West Beach ground is basically one road away from the sand dunes. It was in in the single digits, rain coming in horizontally, <laughs> half-time. <laughs> like everyone's in their car shooting the horns. Half love t- your job. <laughs> yeah, half-time the referee comes up and goes, mate, you, you're doing a really good job. You've done this before. I went, yeah, I have. And he goes, you know what the difference between you and I today is? I said, what, mate? He goes, we're both cold, we're both wet. He says, but I'm getting paid because I've done the course. I went... Yep, thank you very much. <laughs> and the light came on and I went and did the course and uh, the rest of the football world have been poorer for it. <laughs> Not at all. We'd, we'd love to have you back involved with you, I can tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that from a few people just so they could throw some more things at me. Yeah, just just <laughs> on that, uh, Simon, the, the numbers do appear to be low this year. Are they lower than previous mm. years? And, um, you know, what do we put that down to and what are the, action plans in place to help encourage that? We're actually um, at the moment ahead of, of where we were last year. Obviously, we, we were hit um, pretty hard by, by COVID, as the whole sport was, um, and we, we're just sort of recovering from that now. And um, I think, yeah, over the next year or two, we'll get back to pre-COVID um, numbers. Yeah. I think that what might have caused a potential drop-off in, in some of the... You mentioned the appointments in the sort of older age groups is that because we, we've targeted a lot of, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, um, it's not really appropriate to put them on a, a 16s or an 18s game straight away. Um, yeah. that, that's not um, potentially a nice environment for them. And so we find that we're covering a lot of the younger age groups, um, but some of the sort of 16s or 18s might go with that because we need that more senior person there for that. And yeah. We don't want to put a first-year referee into that position and how um, we get- where potentially that might them and you know not we might lose them altogether yep sorry Simon. how, how are we going with the uh 
recruitment of uh, women uh, female referees. I noticed in the, the cup final recently that we had um, three female assistants, but uh, and no disrespect to, to Steve, who I know personally, and he did an excellent job during the game, but uh, we were, when I was still active, we were looking to encourage so that when we had a female cup final that we'd have all four positions filled by female referees. Are we getting any closer to that happening? Um, we are, um, and I think the, the performances of, of people such as uh, Libby, um, Libby Caldwell and, mm-hmm. and Kaylee Omrod, who were the, the two assistants on that game, show we are moving in the right direction. Um, those two assistants are part of our referee academy, um, so we've grown from uh, one female in the previous academy to two in this academy, and you know we're hoping um, that those sort of characters can be those role models that we need uh, to really grow that female refereeing group that we've got. Um, Jess Burst, um, unfortunately, moved to, to Kalgoorlie um, yes. this year. Not, not unfortunately for her, obviously, she's got um, per, per career-wise, but, um, <laughs> but in terms of refereeing, um, she was our, our um, top female referee. Um, but still, and I think in the, in the next year or two, I'm really excited to see where um, our female referees can go. Um, and, and yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if next year um, we do we are able to have that all-female officiating team on a, on a Women's Cup final. How are we going with numbers? You said that we are ahead with our numbers compared to last year. Do you mean compared to games covered or just the total number of referees in the system? How, how do you uh, quantify that? So this is the total number of referees that we have across the state. So um, in terms of Metro, we've got just over 530 at the moment um, with a further 90 um, in the regions. Um, regional Referee development is a, is a different beast, and that's something we're working really hard on. Um, and so, yeah, across the state, we're sitting at about 620 at the moment. Um, how, how many games do you have to cover in a weekend? <laughs> uh, we're, we're sitting around, across the whole weekend, we'd be around four or 500 um, across all the different things that we do. Obviously, we appoint not just football West matches, but we appoint some schools matches as well across the weekend in the PSA comp. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we'll be sitting four or 500. Well, that's not too bad. Yeah, and and the, obviously, as Simon is well aware of, um, not every referee of those numbers, not every referee is available every week, so that's why we're getting some games that aren't being covered by official yeah. referees, unfortunately. Is it usual practice to uh, allocate uh, one referee to multiple games to uh, be <laughs> effective in time management, or is that not the, the done and proper thing? No, no, we have, we have lots of referees that will do, you know, multiple games in a day. Um, that's very common. Um, you know, a lot of our referees um, are quite happy to do that. Some people prefer the one game, and that's fine, and we, we manage that. Um, but where we have back-to-back games, and where, you know, we don't have two games kicking off at the same time side-by-side, side, you know, we stagger them one after the other. That allows us to more efficiently use our resources. We can have yeah. one referee there rather than two. Yeah. spread spread the load around. Yeah, yeah I, we, we, I know one referee, and I won't mention his name, Wayne Oldham, who would do upwards of uh, five five games in a day. He would he would literally, you know, be speed racer from from ground to ground to make sure he could get to the next ground on time. He he was a dynamite. <laughs> I remember Wayne. Yeah, yeah. Is he still referee? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he is. He's down at uh, in Albany, and uh, he still has the nickname Money Man because if there's a game going. <laughs> he, he's doing it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Look, and it's not not uncommon for us to have um, you know referees not just across the weekend, but you know potentially every night of the week yep. with, with school games and, and midweek catch up games. Yep, yeah, and okay. futsal uh, and, and in, indoors. Yep, very uh, heavily involved. Yep, I know wow. there was a few that would um, uh, no longer working for, for a variety of reasons, but would uh, 
basically be full-time referees that would have um, appointments every day of the week. Right, so there's just right. a lot of games you can catch out there yep, if you yep. want to. Indoor, okay. outdoor, all sorts. Okay, yep. all right. Um, I have a question about the age. You said that it's a bit uh, uncomfortable or not quite uh, correct yet for a young trainee to be put in a certain age group. Is there an age limit with the, with the refereeing? Like will a 13-year-old only be able to do like within a couple of years of their age, anything like that? Generally, we in the first instance, we'll appoint. Um, so a 13-year-old would only do 13s games. Um, but then it's very much a sort of case-by-case case basis. I mean, we, we have some, you know, um, talented 16-year-old referees that are capable of senior football, um, whereas we have some, you know, brand-new 17-year-olds that would only feel comfortable doing a, a 13s game. So you really have to sort of manage that case-by-case. Case. But um, sort of in the, in the first instance, when they first start refereeing, it would be their age or younger. Yeah, yep. OK. So with, uh, yep. with refereeing... Um, with the Olympics on and everybody's talking about it, can you give us some insights and some uh, feedback onto how Kate Dukowitz and Chris Beath are going over there? Because not many would know that uh, Australia have two uh, senior referees uh, playing, well, I say playing, sorry, officiating. officiating. I, I always how use good playing. Is that? Officiating at the Olympics. Yeah, great. Well done. So yeah, that's I, I, right. I know Kate, uh, I was watching again multiple screens, Kate had the uh, the US-Netherlands game last night, which is a replay of the 2019 World Cup final. So Fantastic. how cool was that? Yeah. That's right. And, and Kate, obviously, a candidate um, for the, the FIFA yeah. Women's World Cup um, here. So, yeah, we wish her all the best in, in the Olympics. Um, Chris, um, yeah, Chris Beath had the, the Mexico and, and France, France game, uh, yep. group stage game. Yep, I saw um, that and one. And not to forget as well, um, we've also sent two assistants. The assistant referees are often yes. forgotten, but um, yeah, Anton Shenton and, and George Lacrindus as well equally uh, need to be commended. Yeah, um, they do. Are they part of Chris's yeah. uh, crew? Because um, I, I didn't get to see the start of that game, but obviously everyone who's uh, associated with the game from the refereeing point of view spots Beefy a mile away, and I went, oh, okay, that's, that's Beefy there. So is, uh, is those two assistants part of his crew? Brilliant. Yeah, um, I thought they might the, be. Um, the three of them are travelling as a team and, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, working together on those games. Sensational. But Kate uh, doesn't have uh, Australian assistance, I noticed. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, but um, it's just Kate um, travelling from that perspective. Um, but yeah, no, certainly from, from my perspective, the, um, the male assistants there, Anton and, and George, deserve all the, all the credit of, of Chris. Obviously, the referee's the, the main figure, but um, yeah, assistants I often like to give a shout-out to. Oh, don't, well. don't we all? So, do you have um, any heads-up? Is Beefy got a quarter-final? Because uh, I thought his performance in the uh, the France-Mexico game definitely looked like he was going uh, a distance. Yeah, look, Chris is very um, Chris is very experienced and very well thought of, certainly by AFC, and you can see that from yeah. um, from his history of performance in AFC competitions. Um, I didn't catch that game, unfortunately. I don't have any inside intel as to, as to appointments. I must have missed the memo from uh, from FIFA on that one. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we uh, certainly wish them all the best. Um, all the rest of that. Uh, uh, some more questions for you. Um, the weather's been absolutely foul Here we go. Um, the last <laughs> few weeks. Um, in terms of games uh, proceeding or otherwise on the day when a referee turns up, uh, can you give us some indicators of what constitutes the game will not go ahead? Sure. Yeah, we. Um, this has happened lots and lots recently, and uh, my phone has been clogged up with pictures <laughs> of bottles on pitches and people saying, "Is this okay? Is this not okay?" Um, and I said, the short answer is, you know, there's all sorts of things you can say, you know, rolling a ball through through puddles and that sort of thing. Um, but it very much comes down to a thing that we say a lot with refereeing, which is that law 18 common sense. 
Yeah. Um, and I think there's, there's no standard we, we can tell people is this, you know, how many puddles is too many puddles or how deep does a puddle have to be. So um, we, we, we support the, the common sense um, approach of our referees um, and we support their judgment. Um, player safety is obviously the priority. Mm. Um, and, and it sort of varies by, by the standard. I think if, if you're in a social, you know, football game, um, you know, we, we're being, you might threshold might be slightly lower than a, in an NPL game where, you know, there's live streaming and it's, uh, and it's sort of it's that level where it is, you know, our elite level of competition, it's an entertainment thing, um, around whether that pitch is suitable for the higher levels, but it might be suitable in, in a social game where, you know, people just want to play football and it's, and that sort of kick around yep. environment. So, um, well, yeah, lots of things um, that we would do, but yeah, player safety is the number one. Yeah, um, no, I, had a, I had a game at Kingsley one time, and uh, yeah, the the corner. I don't know if those that have uh, played up there, but the corner uh, on the right hand side it was ankle deep, uh, but it was only just in that corner. So I went, look, you know, we, we really can't play, and they're going, but the rest of the pitch is okay, ref. I said, well, how are you going to take a corner? And I put the ball out, and the ball floated away. I went. <laughs> Surely that's going to be... Oh, can't we just take the corner from the other side? Go get went, some sand and chuck it in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it must be a bit of a challenge for the stand-in referees or the, the club referees yeah. that come along because they don't have access to the laws. I would assume most of them that uh, might be a parent, and we've had a lot of parents just mm. step up to the plate. They've all been good about it. They might be, well, hopefully not coaches because the coaches want to coach. It's just one of the linesmen steps up and then a parent steps into the linesman job and then it comes down to absolutely about player safety and you have a bit of a conversation with the other team, mm. the other coach, and you go, okay, this works, this doesn't work, let's do it. And, and you kind of come to like a, a middle ground yep. about things and sometimes you might play without a lines person because the lines person stepped up to be the referee for that game. And so far, Simon, I think everyone's been pretty damn good about it. I've not had any bad behaviour that uh, I can think of. There's been refs that um, we've gone, oh, ref, but you know what? <laughs> they're, they're not... Officials, they're people standing in as volunteers to do the job, which I appreciate and thank them. For yeah, and we, and, and we rely on, on obviously on those those people to, to fill in when when we can't provide an, an official referee. So um, that's good to hear. Um, I think the the other thing is you raised a good point with the, the difficulty is that you know when you are sort of having that consultation, you know for tactical reasons, some one team might want to play the game and one team might not. Um, you know, especially with. You know, if you reach half time in a the game, then you have a result. So yeah. potentially, if teams one nil up at half time, they might say, "Yep, the pitch is terrible. We'll we'll go home, thanks." Um, whereas the team that's losing would would really want to carry on with that game. So referees, mm-hmm. although yeah, it's good to have consultation. It really has to be a, a referee's decision because you know teams have other other motives potentially in, in whether they think the pitch is playable or not. Yep, yep. So. Um, I don't think I've given this yet, but I'm going to do that. Uh, a young player in, at the Melville Club, Isla McDonald. I think she'd be 13 or 14 years old. She's uh, stepped back from playing so she could start her refereeing. Well, this is what I've said on more than a few occasions, that those players that, for whatever reason, my, my personal journey was through injury where I couldn't play the game anymore, but those players that, that aspire to play for Australia should, you know, once they realise that maybe as... Um, you know, uh, Matt Cheeseman would say, once he realised that he wasn't going to play for Australia, he could actually still represent Australia by d- dedicating to, to refereeing, which, yep. he, which he did. Yeah, and, and look, I've got to give a shout-out to Isla and her parents for helping her mm. along that journey. She's happy to be a referee. Brilliant. Um, spoke to her yesterday. I'm like, how are you going, Isla? And she's like, yeah, it's great. Um, this is what I want to do kind of thing. You've been is- encouraging that pathway as well, Simon, through Football West, Yes. 
absolutely. Yeah, one hundred, one hundred percent. And and we hope that um, you know the women's World Cup will will assist with that, not just from yes. a playing perspective, but also seeing up the best female referees across the world. Um, you know, in Perth and, and around Australia. So that will inspire some some young females to, to take up refereeing as a pathway rather than playing. Brilliant. And uh, before we let you go, just flicking back to the Olympics and how technology has been assisting the officiating there, um, what's your thoughts on um, how the uh, VAR has been operating through the Games? You're talking about the penalty decision last night? I'm not, no. I'm, not, I'm just <laughs> generally talking about um, how VAR has uh, been put in place with the Games and how you, how you think it's um, assisting the Games. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of of VAR. I think um, it is here to stay, and I, I think although it had a lot of opposition at first, I think we are seeing a little bit more acceptance of it. Mm. Um, you know, from you know some tweaks that are being brought in are the you know these essentially thicker offside lines, as they say. And, um, you know, instead of previously when you might have seen you know the, the operators actually drawing the lines, you'll now only see the final image, so yep. there won't be that sort of controversy around lines being moved and things like that. You'll only see the final outcome as to whether a player is offside or, or onside. So yep, um, I think it, it's, a, it's a helpful tool for referees. I know referees don't want to make mistakes. And so if there's a tool there that can assist the referee not making a mistake, you know, and then clearing up that, that clear and obvious error, well, that's something we should definitely do. Yep. And, um, yeah, I know the, the threshold around what's clear and obvious has, has been the subject of some controversy. And it's a, it, it is a sort of a, a nature of a, a thing of finding that balance. Um, and of course, there's going to be improvements. But in principle, I like the system. I think it, even as a, as a football fan watching you know, Premier League and the A League, I, I like it. Not yep. just from a refereeing perspective. Yeah, same with the, the goal line technology. If you think back to the, and I've watched uh, a, a that, bit of that's football. That's a different beast, the, and I the, like that. The uh, yeah. the USA Australia game where um, you know. I thought it was, I mean, I was screaming at the telly, but VA, uh, the goal line technology, she just pointed to the watch and went, we're off. It was, you know, the Australia-USA game was brilliant. Yeah, so how does that work with goal line technology or VAR if the referee has made a decision and then it's challenged by a player on the park? Mm. How, what, what happens? I'll leave that one to Simon. Go on, mate. Yeah, Simon, how does that work? Well, I mean, with, obviously with VAR, the players, um, are not involved in that yep. obviously in that process so obviously some sports will have um, challenges for, for players uh, or for teams where they can challenge a particular decision whereas um, all the four key match incidents would be automatically reviewed by the VAR and there's no sort of challenging process from a team's perspective I think that's a better system um, because everything automatically gets checked that needs to get checked and you don't have this level of dissent I know you'll, every time you see a penalty given players storm over to the referees <laughs> if it wouldn't be checked um, and obviously it will be, um, but I think this can, helps control that because um, you're not relying on players to argue with referees um, but then potentially have a, have a decision changed. Yeah. Simon, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. I hope your feet stay dry <laughs> this weekend and you keep out of trouble. Uh, we'll catch up with you another time for sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me as always and speak to you again soon. Good, Good on, on you. you. Thanks, Thanks, Simon. Simon. See ya. That was... Simon Hicks, Football West Referee yep. Coordinator. Good chat. And with the goal line technology, I wanted to leave the VAR to Simon because it's a little bit more technical, but the goal line technology, it's um, uh, a microchip within the ball and across the line, a bit like Hawkeye. So when the whole uh, of the ball crosses the whole of the line, it registers on the referee's wrist. They've got a device there and it goes buzz, buzz, buzz. Sweet. No argument. Bang. Goal. Lens up with Barry's Groove and his jazz show. <laughs> and this is Penn and Hugh out of here. I'm back in next week with the crew. Thanks, Thanks for listening, listening everyone. See you later. Ta-da.